Walter Benjamin, the philosopher and critical theorist, scribbling in his journal at 3.30 a.m. in the morning of December the 18th, 1927, captures his initial impressions after having consumed cannabis for the first time. The first thing he notices is the boundless goodwill of his altered state. Quote, a falling away of neurotic obsessive anxiety complexes, the sphere of character opens up. All those present take on hues of the comic. At the same time, one steeps oneself in their aura, connection. You follow the same paths of thought as before, only they now appear strewn with roses. Another middle-aged man, the me reading these words, remembers the handful of times he too had been altered in this way, all of them in my adult years. As a teenager and at university, I was predominantly a self-serving swat, believing that reading and studying was the best route to enlightenment. Oh, the naivety. This entailed opting for enthralled studies of William Burroughs' Naked Lunch and Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing, rather than ever going out and sampling the intoxicants described in their pages. High-minded little prig that I was, I looked down on my fellow student psychonauts at university, even though I yearned for the connections they forged on their various nightly benders. The role of sheltered SWAT generally disallows for much experimentation with psychoactive substances. Occasionally, however, someone would pass me a joint in my twenties and the world would suddenly go technicolour, like that moment in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy and her farmhouse are whisked away by a tornado and she, Toto under one arm, opens the sepia-toned doors of her dwelling to reveal the almost gaudy hues of Munchkinland, a kind of ersatz Garden of Eden designed by Jeff Koons, where all the flora and fauna appear to be made out of mirror-polished stainless steel and porcelain covered with a coating of translucent paint. Glitzy and gleeful, but also somewhat theatrical, and kitsch. If you only get stoned once every five years or so, one's altered perceptions can, like in Osville, take on an almost psychedelic sheen, as can the experiences that accompany these states, such as the memory now surfacing of my brother playing me the opening track to a new album by the Irish band The Frames that he'd managed to get his hands on a week before its release date, the music flowering into consciousness like one of those rare and exotic cactus blooms which only blossom when the moon is full in the forests of Sri Lanka or some other far-flung destination. The catapult flower, for example, Epiphyllium occipetalum, a flower I've always wanted to see and experience. Its scent, described by those who have had the good fortune to sniff it, being calmative as well as slightly intoxicating. Mm -hmm. 
its delicate spindly white petals almost entirely withered the morning after it first blooms. Most of all, I remember, cued by Rambo's poem Sensations, which I read that evening at the end of a somewhat lonely and loveless summer, how being altered can also feel as if another consciousness is merging with our own, perhaps a plant consciousness, who knows. As a type 4, type 2 combo, I am often wanting to be in relationship with someone or something in this sort of profound and all-involving way. Like every foolish romantic, you know, I just want to merge, man, <laughs> like a puppy with its master or mistress. Infantile, yes, but like you in my own peculiar way, I'd really like to belong to something or someone other than my own mind. part of something bigger than this, this self, this ego cage in which the I resides. to belong to someone who is bigger than their ego cage in which their I or me or mine hangs out. I just want the two of us <laughs> to be either in the same cage together, if at all possible, or even better, free of our cages as we are in sex and other moments of profound interpersonal communion. I don't really care about how we achieve this. All I care about is the togetherness of that dream. Frame this as an attachment disorder if you like, but for me, it's something more spiritual. Emotional separation as opposed to physical distance and disagreement, in my consciousness, at least how I experience it, is much more painful than a physical wound. This is why I will sometimes foolishly go to the ends of the earth in order to try and resolve conflict between myself and another person. I will more or less do anything to try and make it good between us again. Having done my time on the couch, I understand how this desire might be framed as somewhat weak and sycophantic. Having this, only this, desire for deep connection as the driving motivation for one's life. I remember a gestalt psychotherapist I would go to see in my 30s who would often quote to me, and in fact suggested I learn this poem off by heart too, um, a thing called uh, Fritz Perl's Gestalt Prayer, which goes like this. I do my thing and you do your thing. I am not in this world to live up to your expectations and you are not in this world to live up to mine. You are you and I am I. And if by chance we find each other, it's beautiful. If not, it can't be helped.
My psychotherapist's belief was that if I could work on running my love life in this more detached and stoical fashion, well, our work together would be done. As uh, foolishly romantic over-focused on human relationships for this supposition made complete sense to me in our discussions, although after a year of working together with the aim of turning me into a, a model of self-contained self-reliance, well, I just went and fell in love again with someone I was seeing and undid all our good work together in my ardour to spend more time with them than, you know, maybe he thought was healthy uh, in terms of that anti-expectation model we'd uh, devised for me to follow. I think my line at the time was that for all of our evolutionary history thus far, <laughs> we have generally faced the unavoidable perils of existence, uncertainty, pain, constant work in a kind of Adam and Eve or Eve and Eve or Adam and Adam configuration, something like that. But at least conceptually, we could agree that many of us, but not all of us, want, in some way, want to share our very deeper selves with another person. For those souls who don't have a partner or someone they can be vulnerable with in this way, a substitute has to be found, be it God or dog or a green girlfriend bought using Bitcoin and delivered to us through our letterboxes. This is another reason why I often feel really grateful uh, for having the job that I have because in a way in this strange profession I am often functioning at least for 50 minutes a week as a kind of substitute for something or someone else and I'm more than happy to fulfill that need. Transference might be a word for it here. I always feel blessed for want of a better word, to be entrusted in this way with another person's suffering, their gripes and moans, their precious vulnerabilities, their fears, their shame, their self-loathing, and all the rest of the human experience when it is shared non-defensively, for the most part, with us or through us. What a gift to be the recipient of these uncensored, emotionally open and predominantly transparent communications with someone else who has all the same existential givens as we do, someone who isn't, at least in our 50 minutes together, playing the usual human game of pretending to be unstirred, unfailing, unassailable. To be able to experience the camaraderie, and it is a camaraderie, of human suffering, that's what therapy is also about. Also, to experience what it means to be genuinely focused, as best we can, on a human dimension beyond our own needs and desires. Human animals, just like all the other animals, especially in the case of mammals, need to bond. It is one of our most primal urges. If we can't bond with other people, we will find a behavior to bond with, whether it's watching Netflix or using substances or gambling or losing ourselves in Excel spreadsheets or planograms or meetings or therapy or making granola. If the only bond we can find that helps us to feel less lonely or gives us a kind of meaning or focus in our lives is with a psychoactive substance, be it fags, weed, wine, computer games, television programs, 
is it any surprise that we will bond, maybe even compulsively bond, with our chosen fake beloveds, the ones which best imitate or simulate the kind of bonds we're seeking to one day forge before we all cease to exist? Johan Hari, in his book Chasing the Scream, quotes a former heroin and crack addict, Dean Wilson, who shares what he and Hari believe addiction to be mainly about. Addiction, Wilson tells Hari, is a disease of loneliness. How did we get to this point as a society? How did I get to this point? I mean, I won't bore you with that as we're here to talk about what I did after getting to this point. But if we're going to cast blame for our modern alienation and angst, better perhaps to turn it towards systemic issues rather than take potshots at people who have let us down in some shape or form, according to us, you know, our parents, our siblings, our ex-partners, our doctors, our nurses, our therapists, and all the rest. An important creed of our hyper-individualist society is self-sufficiency. I'm not your mother, I'm not your counsellor, I'm not here to explore or help you with your feelings, your struggles with anxiety and depression, your fibromyalgia flare-ups, or frankly, whatever form of human suffering you're consistently working with. This is what we moderns have now been schooled to tell each other when we feel unable or unwilling to address someone else's emotional or physical needs. Can't deal with it in-house? Outsource it. Are you struggling with the somewhat peculiar predicament of being a walking, talking primate, conscious of its own death, self-conscious in sometimes insane-making ways, and able to communicate all of this to other human animals who are also facing the same predicament? Well, maybe you should go and see a doctor about that. You could speak to an occupational therapist, a counsellor, a psychotherapist, a nutritionist, a reflexologist, an acupuncturist, a Reiki healer, a homeopath, a naturopath, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a hypnotherapist, a martial arts instructor, a wellness specialist, an Ayurvedic physician, a tarot reader. Basically, you should go away and pay someone some money so that you can have whatever conversation you need to have just as long as you don't continue to seek having that conversation with me because I'm halfway through season eight of Game of Thrones and I don't have time for all of this. Almost everything in the human-animal realm, most especially love and care, has now been outsourced to our service industries and turned into a simple transactional exchange. Overly cynical, you say? Well, let's just have a quick reality check here. We Western modern folk are the only homo sapiens in existence who, by and large, put our parents in nursing homes to die whilst we get on with watching telly. Wiping mum's bum and dad's bum like they, for a number of years, wiped ours, taking care of them in their physical and mental decrepitude, looking after them as they looked after us, no doubt imperfectly flawed humans as they were. Are we going to make space in our lives to do that? Um, to do this thing that for roughly the last 300,000 years, minus, you know, the odd century or two, we have been following through with? Well, no. <laughs> Here's some money, find someone else to take care of you. 
go and open the door, admonishes the Czech poet Miroslav Halov in a poem of that name. Go and open the door. Maybe outside there's a tree or a wood, a garden or a magic city. Go and open the door. Maybe a dog's rummaging. Maybe you'll see a face or an eye or the picture of a picture. Go and open the door. If there's a fog, it will clear. Go and open the door. Even if there's only the darkness ticking. Even if there's only the hollow wind. Even if nothing is there. Go and open the door. At least there'll be a draft. When we are going through a kind of crisis, whatever that crisis might be, I think this is what we're ultimately looking for. A draft, something ventilating, oxygenating, coming from outside us, something that might literally inspire us in some way, that might connect us back with the world, back to le vraie vie, the true life, as Rambo described the goal of his life, especially after we've been lost for some time in our minds and hearts, or wherever we go when we lose ourselves. And perhaps it is no surprise, this being circa 2015 and the internet abuzz with the healing, helping qualities of CBD and THC, the whole of social media, well, (laughs) all the poets anyway, heading off to their local dispensaries to purchase their boutique wares. At least this is how it seemed to me at the time in my echo chamber, fed by wave upon wave of publicity and paradigm-shifting media following on from the legislation of weed for medical and or recreational purposes by governments keen to tax this relatively benign psychoactive. A lot of the rah-rah-rah pro-cannabis media of the last few years it has, of course, just been the latest snake oil salesman patter, which attaches itself to any serious business plan. It's not addictive. It's better than antidepressants. It's a cure-all. But it has also involved a lot of interesting culture and commentary produced by seemingly somewhat highly functioning individuals who appear to be a, permanently stoned, whilst B, also being incredibly productive in terms of their creative industries criteria. And I guess all of this must have done a pretty good job at convincing me, a relatively intelligent and healthy-minded individual, that I need to start thinking about weed in the same way that I used to think about consuming wine. Wine gives you the ability to travel around the world from the comfort of your own home. Each wine expresses itself differently depending on its terroir. The climate, soil, terrain and tradition where it's made. Where a grape is grown is just as important as the person growing the grapes and making the final product. Well, that's what winemag.com has to say to the question I just googled, which was, other than to get intoxicated, why are people so fond of wine? So, I try not to judge that 40-something-year-old bloke sitting in his garden reading Rambo and forming weird but motivating, for him, links between the relational, associational, even conjugal experiences he's yearning to have and the substitute versions of love and care that being altered in some way by a psychoactive substance might provide. Being altered, at least to begin with, and this is often the case for cannabis, I can't talk here for other substances which I have no experience of. But in terms of cannabis, 
being altered, being in the loving embrace of one's green girlfriend feels, for those of us who have forged such a relationship at times in our lives, feels pretty close, I would say, to the actual experience of being loved. Not being in love, but of being loved. And who doesn't want to be loved and or in love with the world, with our flawed and shadowy selves, the love we now refer to as self-compassion, and ideally with another person of our species who shares our values and outlook. Someone who wants and needs us as we consensually want and need them. Why would they want us, need us, other than for their own self-centered socio-sexual needs, we might ask? Well, <laughs> the romantic, somewhat naively hopes and dreams that they might want us for us for being us, for you being you and for me being me, as opposed to for being a psychotherapist or a lawyer or supplying amusing, stimulating company at times, or being a good cook, forward slash lover, forward slash spider remover, or any other identity marker, any other socially desirable norm or skill you might care to name. If cannabis has a hinge profile, it would probably read something like this. Through blue summer nights, we will pass along paths, pricked by wheat, trampling short grass. Together, we will feel coolness underfoot, letting the breezes bathe our bare heads. Not a word, not a thought will pass through us, only boundless love surging in our souls. And we will wander far away, like vagabonds in nature, as happily as two living creatures in love. Wouldn't you swipe right on a profile like that? I would. And I did. Lately, I find myself out, a gazing at stars. Even get dolls like someone, someone in love. Sometimes the things I say astound me. Mostly whenever you're around me. Lately, I seem to walk as though I had wings. I bump into things like someone in love. Each time I look at you, I'm limp as a glove. Yeah, I'm feeling like someone in love. Well, there you go. Another episode of this thing. My name's uh, Steve. My website is stevewasserman.co.uk. Maybe you too have an interesting cannabis koan and might want to one day have a chat about it on the podcast. If so, drop me a line or a voice note. That would be great. Ciao. Mostly whenever you're around me lately, I seem to walk. As the
album into 